One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. Well, if you're with me in the last episode, we talked about uh, trying to starting to define what inflammation is and what it isn't. And I drew distinctions between things like inflammation and swelling, where swelling is just accumulation of fluid and inflammation is actually the presence of different types of inflammatory chemicals. Most of those are classified as what we call um, cytokines. And, and these come predominantly from the immune system, although there are other tissues that can create inflammatory chemicals. Uh, for example, we talked very briefly about something called neurogenic inflammation, where the brain can generate inflammation in the body, even in the absence of some kind of an inflammatory trigger like a virus or even tissue damage. Um, and then we went on to talk about the barrier systems very briefly, and we spent some time talking about uh, the gut barrier system and things like leaky gut and how when you have changes in the lining of the intestinal system that generate uh, an inflammatory response in the gut, with leaky gut, those inflammatory chemicals actually spill out into systemic circulation and can affect everything, in, including getting into the brain and causing things like brain fog. Um, and so what I wanted to do in today's episode is just talk a little bit about what we might call leaky brain. And I'll say the same thing that I did in the last episode. This is not like a big treatment of the concept of leaky brain, uh, because that's a pretty big concept. There's a lot of things to talk about in and of that just by itself. But we want to try to start making some connections. And ultimately what I'm doing with these earlier episodes is just trying to build a little bit of a foundation of knowledge or to construct a framework, if you will, around inflammation and how it relates to health before we start talking about, you know, specific entities. And one of the things I'll plan on doing is talking about the role of inflammation and things like weight loss. And I'm doing that just simply because we're coming up to that time of year where things like New Year's resolutions and weight loss are just the top of almost everybody's minds. But let's talk about um, the blood-brain barrier. Um, if you remember, a barrier system is just something that separates two different compartments. And so the function of the blood-brain barrier is to protect the internal environment of the brain from things that are circulating through the bloodstream, things that have no business being in the brain environment. And that would include infections and toxins and inflammatory chemicals and all that kind of stuff. And what the blood-brain barrier is actually comprised of, it's the lining of the blood vessels that branch out from your core, your main immune system, and dive deep into the brain to feed blood into the brain. And the lining of those very small capillaries, the endpoints of that vascular system, act as the same type of barrier as we see in the gut environment. In fact, if you were to look, say, at a scanning micrograph or even just a, a pictograph, like a, an image, a drawing of uh, the gut barrier and the blood-brain barrier and a leaky gut and a leaky brain, you're going to see exactly the same thing. And so we kind of, from a clinical perspective, we start to think that things that cause things like leaky gut will eventually cause leaky brain. But if you have one, it doesn't mean that you're going to have another. There's no guarantee of that. In fact, we have, you know, just even my own clinical experience, I've tested hundreds if not thousands of people for leaky gut and leaky brain. And we do have very good, solid, validated tests for those things uh, that are based in blood or serum testing. 
But we see it all the time where uh, somebody has a leaky gut but not a leaky brain, even though they may have gut symptoms and brain symptoms. Or it could be the other way around. Somebody has a leaky brain but they don't have a leaky gut. But we understand that because the, the tissue architecture and the function and physiology of the barrier systems are the same, and the variables that tend to drive the breakdown of one barrier system eventually break down the other barrier system. It's almost just a matter of time if you have one before you eventually get to another. Now, of course, it's not a guarantee. We're talking about probabilities. But the longer somebody has been sick for, the longer that somebody has been walking around in their daily general life in a heightened state of inflammation and they have issues with their gut barrier, eventually they're going to have an issue with their blood-brain barrier. So the big question then becomes, well, how do I know my brain is inflamed? And if you've listened to the last couple of episodes, you hopefully will remember what the answer to that is. The two main things, they're actually going to give you three different things that tip us off that somebody has an inflamed brain and probably as a result has a, a leaky brain or a, a faulty blood-brain barrier are, are three main things. Number one is brain fog. Number two is depression or lack of motivation. And I'm going to throw a third one in there, and that is mental fatigability or brain fatigue. Now, let's talk about each one of those just very quickly by themselves. Um, I mentioned in a prior episode, again, very briefly, that when the brain is inflamed, the conduction speed of the neurons that we think and feel and remember with starts to slow down. And so brain fog, even though there's no real formal definition, we kind of all know it when we have it even though some people find it very difficult to express in words exactly what it is they're feeling up in their brain. But nevertheless, what we typically see when someone has brain fog is that they, they complain of slow mental processing. Uh, I've had people explain it as in they're, they're, they feel like they're thinking through um, a deep ocean, that their thought process is slowed down, they can't make decisions, they get overwhelmed very easily, the quality of their decision making is not as great as it should be. And so this slower nerve conduction speed leads to slower mental processing, which means we can only handle so much information at one time. The other part of that, or the other potential manifestation of neuroinflammation, which may or may not be associated with a leaky brain, but quite often is, uh, is this depression and lack of motivation. And specifically, when we look at depression, well, let's flip it around. In order for me to have a happy, positive, motivated outlook, I have to have good activation and good um, facilitation of my frontal lobe, particularly the left frontal lobe. This is where I look at the, the world and go, okay, life is good and I have plans and I'm going to go out and I'm going to do things. And it's that that we lose when we lose motivation or when we start to become depressed. And, and I did mention before that that is a scale or it's a continuum, that a lack of motivation is really just a very, very mild form of clinical depression. And so you can start with, yeah, I'm just not, I just don't feel like doing anything. And then eventually find yourself like I'm in bed all day because I don't want to get out of bed, right? Those are two different extremes of the same, same continuum. But nevertheless, when the frontal lobe particularly is inflamed, because you can have inflammation in the whole brain or you can have it in different parts of the brain, if the frontal lobe is affected predominantly, then you slow down the efficiency of the signaling that happens in the area of the part of the brain that keeps you motivated and keeps you focused and kind of helps you to see the world as a glass, glass hat full proposition. So, in fact, when we look at the medical literature and we look at neurological textbooks, 
um, depression is viewed as a neuroinflammatory problem, not a neurotransmitter problem, at least not predominantly. So I would say if you if you have an issue with depression, think inflammation first, think neurotransmitters second, and sometimes it's a far second, right? Really, the main issue is the neuroinflammation. Um, so then in having the right perspective on that is absolutely critical because it leads you into the choices that you make either for using medications or natural supplements or if you understand what goes into making things like serotonin or dopamine or things that might drive the frontal lobe you can you can approach things from it from that perspective as well and so we know that lack of activation of the frontal lobe leads to loss of motivation and eventually to depression and neuro, not neurotransmitters, sorry, I'm contradicting myself. Um, in neuroinflammation is the primary, uh, primary driver of that. And then the third thing is mental fatigability. Um, and sometimes it's difficult. Like if somebody comes to my office, or I shouldn't say that because I don't have an office, I do virtual consulting all the time these days. But um, if somebody contacts me and, and as part of our initial consultation, they say, you know, I've got, I've got this fatigue, my first question is, well, is that body fatigue or is that brain fatigue? And sometimes people can't really tell the difference. They're like, I don't know, I'm just tired. And so the way that I, as a clinician, can tell whether or not somebody's dealing with body fatigue, which might be rooted in, for example, things like I, like an iron deficiency anemia or some kind of a blood sugar issue or something related to kind of global energy metabolism. How do I distinguish between that and brain fatigue? And the question is, well, what happens first? Is there a sequence where the brain fatigues and the body goes with it? Or does the body go first and the brain follows? And in particular, and this is kind of the, the hallmark scenario, does uh, reading driving long distances or being in loud, busy commotion environments like going to the mall on, on Black Friday, does that cause your symptoms to flare up? Does that make you tired? If we find that somebody says that there is, their fatigue comes on after they drive their car or after they've been reading or working on a computer for a long period of time or if they're in a busy, crowded environment, that you know, lots of noise and lots of lights, that kind of stuff, um, we know that those are very brain-heavy activities, and if those activities are driving the complaint of fatigue, I know that we're dealing with neurofatigue and not necessarily body fatigue, even though they do sometimes go hand in hand. And so that's just kind of like a little quick tip on I'm trying to construct this framework that I said at the very beginning. Like I'm, I'm a huge believer in understanding the big picture before you can start making sense of all the little details. Uh, you can drive yourself absolutely bananas if you're focusing on the details without having that big picture in, in place uh, to help you know where to hang the little tidbits of information that you're gathering. So I'm going to leave it there for right now. We still have more to talk about. We have one more episode to talk very quickly about the respiratory or the lung barrier and how inflammation can drive that or it can be a result of that. And that's you know probably a good point to leave you on is that you know whether we're talking about inflammation related to leaky gut, leaky brain, or leaky lung, um, there can be a bi-directional relationship there. You can become inflamed, for example, because you have a, a broken barrier system like a leaky gut or a leaky brain, or you can acquire leaky gut or leaky brain as a result of some kind of inflammatory insult. So to be honest, at some point, it, it really kind of becomes like a chicken or the egg scenario where 
from our perspective where we are today trying to deal with real problems in real time is that it doesn't matter what first started the whole cascade is that we have to deal with what we have to deal with and so we have ways to assess each one before we start making quality clinical decisions about um, you know whether it's diet changes or lifestyle modifications or even nutritional supplements to try to fix those things. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.